This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome one, welcome all to the Simple Politics Podcast. I'm your host and political petal, Kobe Omanaka. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and political bouquets, blossoms, spring is springing guys, and Diane and Tatten. How are you guys doing? Hello, Kobe. I-, I would love to be a bouquet of daffodils. That feels quite fitting at the minute, if, if that's okay. When the first daffodil comes up or the snowdrop, it's-, it's like, oh, guys, it's happening. We're getting there. We're getting there. Yes. Springtime. How are you doing, Saturn? <laughs> Isn't it pronounced buckets? Or is that too niche a reference? I wondered if someone was going to pull that up. And that is, that shows our age. We've talked about it before. We're all the same kind of age. And that was peak TV. <laughs> yeah. Keeping up appearances. That's the one. Keeping up appearances. Yeah. So I'll accept my role as a bucket. Yeah, fine. Well, we've had an interesting week politically. I don't think it's necessarily been represented in the most popular posts this week. Maybe we'll talk a bit about Boris Johnson and what he's been saying in front of the law. But let's go to the most popular posts anyway. This is the first part of the podcast where we review the most popular posts on the Simple Politics Instagram page. Tatten, what was the third most popular post this week? Well, before we get into it, I think it's worth saying it's actually been quite a quiet week for us. And Boris Johnson's been doing his thing. There's been some big news in Northern Ireland, but actually SPers, I love them deeply, but they don't really care about those things. Everyone's got their opinion on Boris Johnson. Like he can sit there for three hours and say how he can't believe he's got to be innocent. He can't believe or whatever. But everyone knows how they feel about it. I mean, generally, let's face it. Most of them think he's not being very honest. Boris Johnson said several times yesterday. <laughs> to put it lightly. Well, Boris Johnson said several times yesterday, the idea we were partying during lockdown is ludicrous, is madness. I mean, he used various mental health slurs that I wasn't particularly in love with, but well, that's what he said. And a lot of people are like, well, no, we've seen pictures of you partying. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so that's why none of this stuff does appear in the top posts because everyone's bored of it. Partygate was a long time ago. Sue Gray established stuff. We know what happened. And it feels very engaging in the Westminster bubble. And lots of, you know, I watched all three hours. Diane popped to the school run because she's um, a yeah. bit flighty <laughs> like that. But it was fascinating for us. But I think for a lot of people, it was a bit meh. So our top three posts, in at three was the Met Police, which did capture people's imagination, which people were engaged with, because it's just, it was horrid. People being horrid who are also part of our police force. I mean, some examples like putting bacon in a Muslim's boot and cutting a Sikh's hair and that stuff is terrible. But you can almost imagine that being isolated incidents. Terrible isolations, but that, you know, the bad apple concept. But when you hear about women being greeted as fresh meat, that's a macho culture, isn't it? And that's where the term institutional comes from. It's when the whole place is rotten to the core. And that allows people, that allows these bad apples, the space to do those things. 
you can't do those things in isolation. There has to be a culture that makes that kind of okay and a bit, a bit of a naughty laugh. It's disgusting and it ends up with the Sarah Everard abduction, rape and murder. It doesn't end there. If it ended there, that would be something, right? But there's still these things going on and that's... Yeah, yeah. And I'd be surprised if this is just the Met. I'd be surprised if other police forces around the country and the world aren't looking around and saying, guys, actually, what are we doing here? After the Stephen Lawrence inquiry, which has showed at that point that police forces institutionally racist, to add misogynistic on top of that. Damalola Taylor. Damalola Taylor. You know, there's all there's all these inquiries that have happened. So this is no surprise to us. What's happening is just a lesser look things propagate and perpetuate in a way that perhaps it hadn't done before. And maybe luckily we have these <laughs> WhatsApp messages in the same way we're seeing in other areas of the news where we can report back and see actually what people were thinking and reporting even though they were, they were saying something else. And my God, it's horrible. And you're right, I don't think especially in the comments, nobody was shocked by this, which says a lot in, in and of itself, you know, that no one no one was shocked at how wide scale the, the problem is. And it talks at the end of the report about, you know, if this can't be sorted, is that it for the Met? Should it be disbanded? Should it start again from the ground up? What should happen? Because how do you regain trust on the back of a report like this? I think it should be noted that the Met Police, the reason that we're disbanding it is because the Met Police also do national jobs. So the national counterterrorism is all done through the Met. So the Met's much, much bigger than, not just because London's bigger, but it has a national role as well. So when they talk about disbanding it, they're not saying we're going to stop having police force in London. They're saying that we're going to have one police force that can focus on London. There's two other branches to it that can be separated and then rebuilt, I suppose. It's a cross-party problem that has got to involve everyone going forward. Well, I think when when Cresta Dick took the role all those years ago, I think we, a lot of people thought, okay, well, this is this is interesting. We will start to see things happening here. And I think that's probably one of the biggest blows in that nothing substantially has happened in the reign of the first female commissioner, first LGBT commissioner. If it's allowed to flourish under her watch, it doesn't really paint a rosy picture for other people's opportunities to make substantial changes. She wasn't perfect. I mean, she was in charge of Jean de Menezes' murder. So that's on her track record as well. So like, yes, yes, it was good to have uh, that new outlook coming in, but also she was never the perfect police officer. Okay, and on to the second most popular post, you, Diane. In it to something completely different. It was actually an advert to be honest, because we sell some SP things. spstuff.co.uk. That's the jingle. <laughs> Lovely listener. What you couldn't see was Kobe's dancing uh, during that. <laughs> it was an image that I, that I won't share with you because it was uh, rather horrific. So don't try and picture it in your mind. No, no. <laughs> but one of the things we sell there is a book called Two Years Indoors. And it's all about the pandemic. It's a hundred... SP posts that we did at the time that covered the span of the first two years. Basically, this post was an advert for the book, but covered what was a pretty special week three years ago, where we went from at the beginning of the week being told in 12 weeks, we'll turn the tide, everything will be all right, we'll get over COVID everything will be back to normal. Wash your hands more. Yeah, to the middle of the week, 
actually we're going to close schools and pubs and it's starting to look a bit serious to on the 23rd of March, which is three years ago today as we were recording, Boris Johnson popped up and said, actually, stay at home. And that was the first lockdown and everything else that followed was just, yeah, the whirlwind that it was. It did pretty well, this ad, probably more pertinent because Boris is in front of the committee as well this week. That's We're not over the pandemic in many ways. There are still lots of things to be gone through and mulled over and learnt. And that's one of them, the, the inquiry that we spoke about. So, yeah, there you go. Three years on. Yikes. I was interacting on this post with a few people who had the same situation as myself, where it was our first kid was born around this kind of time. And the ridiculousness of the whole situation, not knowing whether I could be there in the birthing room at the same time as my son was being born. And it turned out you could be, but just once my wife was declared to be in the final stages, which meant me running from the ground floor to, to the to the birthing room at the last second. But then the positive side was that I wasn't at work in an office. So I got to spend literally every waking moment with a kid. So there's that kind of two sides to this coin, but to say this was three years ago is just made my skin crawl then it seems like such a long time ago but also like a moment ago but yeah guys in a second note get the book it's awesome yes <laughs> stuff like the uk okay what was the most popular post this week the most popular post was uh, something that popped up on sunday afternoon that i just wasn't expecting at all we're going to have an emergency alert right which means that the government can push out a siren and make your phone vibrate everywhere in the country without knowing your phone number. Now, I don't understand the science behind it, but they don't have a database of our numbers. They can just make them all do this thing. And it's going to be an emergency alert. And the examples were really funny because the examples like, oh, we're going to use it for uh, flooding and fires and extreme weather. And it's like, no, you're going to use it for terrorism and you're going to use it for alien invasions. And you're going to use it like this pretense that it's about flooding. And also you can see flooding. You can tell what it's going to flood. It's very localized, isn't it? But there will be, uh, on the 23rd of April, there's going to be a little practice. Now, on some phones, you can apparently turn the alert off. And there was people commenting about how some people have a second phone uh, in order to kind of report abuse or, you know, in order to do whatever. And you've got to get that second phone turned off so that the abuser doesn't find out about it. I mean, mostly I hear about second phones because people are cheating and they should probably also turn their second phones off or their partner will know they're cheating. But one of those is much more serious than the other. And also, if you just don't want to be involved, you can apparently, I'm not going to give you instructions as to how because I have no idea, but you can apparently turn it off. How long is it going to go on for? Like, is it a... Eight seconds. Eight seconds. Okay, that's that's good to know. I'm quite, I don't want to say excited. <laughs> But I, I want to forget this post exists. I want to forget this is happening. I want to be surprised on the 23rd. I don't want people to remind me, by the way, at some point today, there's going to be, I want to forget it's happening and try and live the situation as, as, as it should be and see how I feel and how I react. Do I jump under a table? Do I run for the hills? These aren't particularly controversial. Like they happen in America a lot. They've got them. There were some people kicking off on the post, you know, saying forget about it. Well, well they're doing it during London Marathon Day. It's like, well, yeah, they got to choose a day, don't they? <laughs> like, why have they chosen London Marathon? Well, that's just the day they've chosen. Like, 
Also, good luck with the marathon, everyone. Yep, good luck. And the siren that goes off. Maybe you'll finish. Maybe when you cross the finish line, there'll be like a big alarm and the whole world will know that you ran a sub four hour marathon. Guys, let's head over to the mailbag. This is the second part of the podcast where we get you guys as the readers and listeners of Simple Politics to ask the questions, which we mainly Tatton will answer. Yeah. <laughs> so here we have Lisa, first of all, I believe, Diane. Yeah, Lisa has sent a question. She has left us a message. But essentially what Lisa's asking is, how do we feel about being accused of being particularly left-leaning? Because she's seen that in our comments. And is it part of a wider problem about polarization where people are accused of either being left wing or right wing? I'm really enjoying your podcasts. I also have a question, which is, what do you think about some of your commenters on some of your posts calling you biased, left-leaning, liberal? I've always thought that you cover politics, you cover the news, you cover government and I try to get my sources from lots of different places and I haven't thought that your coverage is particularly one way. However, is it part of this bigger problem of polarising thought or are you quite (laughs) left-leaning? Are you quite liberal? Do you not really think that current government policy is moral? Well, thank you very much, Lisa. You'll be unsurprised now, quite a lot to say about this. Uh, first of all, since I set up Sort of Politics in 2015, which is eight years ago, nearly eight years ago now, there have been a very wide range of people who have been on Team SP. People within Team SP have been voters for literally every political party you can think of. I hope that you haven't been able to tell in terms of where we are on, the, on a political spectrum who has written which post. I hope that, it's the, the, that we just have do what we do and, and that goes out. The Conservative Party are in government, which means that we cover what they say and then we cover what the opposi- why the opposition say it's terrible. If that feels left-leaning, that's an inevitable part of covering a, a government and opposition. Maybe if Labour then got in, it would feel like it was more right-wing, because we'll be quoting people who are criticising the government. And that's really important to do. It's a really important thing to do to say, here's what's happening, and here's an alternative vision. That's the plan. I think, if I'm really honest, there has to be an element of liberalism in what we do, because we are promoting different political ideologies. We're talking about the government and what they believe, and we're talking about Labour and what they believe. So if we were the conservative with a small c or socialist, then we couldn't be posting what we do post because we'd have to be more political about it. While I don't think anybody on TMSP would describe themselves as a liberal, it is fundamentally a project with some liberalism in it in order to promote different sides. People can say what they want to say. I know that I believe that what SP puts out is as impartial as it can be. I know that. I know we make a huge effort to do that. And I'm comfortable with that. Now, we don't have a board of trustees. We don't have an editing team. It's just us. And I know that what I put out is as neutral as it can be. I know what Diane makes and what Charlotte makes. I know that we are doing the best we can to be impartial. 
and people are going to say what they're going to say. And that's not on us. Completely agree. I think very often, well, not very often, but I have written posts and put them out and then had a little chat to tatten on Messenger going, you know, just because I want to talk about something because it's maybe something that I feel very strongly about, but that's not written in the post. But but I'll have a chat after. (laughs) So that does happen. But I'd say that we attract this kind of thing from time to time from all sides. So we get people who accuse us of being left wing. We get people who accuse us of being more conservative. You know, it comes from all aspects. And I think that's probably a good sign because that means we are somewhere down the middle. I came to Simple Politics as everyone else who's listened to this did via the Instagram algorithm pushing me towards you guys. And instantly I was taken, you know, taken aback by the simplicity, obviously, of, and, and the, the way these posts are put together, displaying, relaying the news in a concise way. At no point did I think, oh, this is one way or the other. But I think what I have to realise, what I have to consider in the time you said eight years since starting Simple Politics, is that it has been a Conservative government the whole time. And you're likely to see more pushback from people who are feeling the, the having the axe to grind from the party in charge uh, versus the opposition party. So it's whoever's screaming loudest, it's that kind of response you get. Had this been at a time when Tony Blair's government was in charge at the time of the First Right War, I think we would have been seeing a different kind of reaction to, to things. And also in that eight years, we've seen an extraordinary period of time, Brexit through to lockdowns, through to Liz Trust having 44 days in government as the leader. There's, there's been a lot of things that have happened that people react to, and it's more it's more the left-leaning side of people that react to that. And I think that's what it's just what comes through in the, in the comments more than what's reported by the guys at Simple Politics. I think that's a really good point, Kobe. We certainly have more left-wing followers. We certainly have leftier followers than at least the commenters are, because we've got a million followers, people, and I'm going to show off about that. We've got a million followers and maybe 200 people who comment regularly. So the commenters are not representative of all of the people who might just like a post or just enjoy having us in the background on their Instagram. And also, Instagram is a platform that is used by demographic that is more likely to be left-wing, right? If you look at the country and you look at who votes which way, the young people on Instagram are statistically more likely to be 25 to 34-year-old women are our biggest demographic by far. Over half of our followers are fall into that into that category. And 25 to 34 year old women statistically are more likely to be left, to be on the left. So that would mean that our comments are more likely to be left leaning comments. And that's no reflection. I am not a 25 to 34 year old woman. So what I write and their comments aren't necessarily, they're just responding to what we put out. Let's head on to the next question. Yeah, I think we can be quite quick with these. Should we do do quick fire? Yeah, let's do it. First quick fire question is from Haz, who asks, can the UK turn itself round with the current two-party system or does it all need an overhaul? Go. Well, that's a very loaded question. Can the UK turn itself round? In terms of, I don't know, Haz, I don't know in terms of what you want us to turn ourselves round with. And the two-party system struggles in today's world because 
the, the idea is that there's a large number, it's a broad tent. The Labour Party has people who are quite right-wing, quite very left-wing, and the Conservative Party has people who are slightly left-wing and very right-wing. So together, they can solve all of our problems. Or it might need to all be ripped up and start again. That's the answer your question has. <laughs> I let it run a couple more seconds longer there, but that's that's great. Uh, next question. Okay, so two people asked pretty much the same question this week. So we had Niha and we had Sophie B, who both asked, how do you stay positive when you're writing about UK politics? Go. Oh, no, you're in Sophie B, because UK politics is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Because what we're doing is we are wrestling with the problems this country has, and we're looking how to make them better, how to improve life, how to make a better world. And yeah, sure, there's nonsense that goes along the way with that, but politics is about making a better world, and I love it. Just under time. Awesome. Thank you very much to Lisa for sending voice notes and has Niha and Sophie B also for sending messages. We do really enjoy getting these. It's really, I really enjoy doing this now. We don't, we didn't do this when we started this podcast and then it's probably my favorite part of the episode. I love hearing from you guys what your spies have found out or dug up uh, about Rishi Sunak. What has he been up to this week? Well, he has, uh, it's been a busy week for him. He saw, he had the, the, Wins a framework covering Northern Ireland trade, and there was a there went to the Commons with that. Still a, a poor name, isn't it? I feel that should overhaul that name choice. But yeah, kind of. um, okay, Windsor frames. Um, <laughs> if anyone who's listened to this podcast can think of a better name than Windsor framework, I mean Windsor frames will... is it. So I don't know why <laughs> why we're still looking. <laughs> Uh, Wednesday oh. Frames was up in front of uh, the Commons this week and there was lots of, because the DUP have said they don't like it and which and they have, in doing so, they've not made life in Northern Ireland better for people in Northern Ireland, but they it's their ideological belief that they're still too separate from the rest of the UK and so they need to stand against it. And then because they did, a few other people did and we had Pretty Patel, we had Liz Truss, so we, we had... Boris Johnson all voting against it, but at the end of the day, it passed like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of votes against 29 votes. So that's now gone through, stamp approval is happening. So Boris Johnson was in on Wednesday and uh, all eyes were on Boris Johnson. And Rishi Sunak chose literally during party eight inquiry to push out his tax return. Now he's been being under pressure to show he's paying UK tax for quite a long time and he hasn't put it out. But when all the attention was elsewhere, he just slipped it out. And obviously, because he's published it, it's not going to say, oh, I'm a massive tax evader fraudster. Just take me straight to prison. The reason it was snuck out is because he's really rich. He's really, really rich. He paid like £400,000 in tax. And some people don't like that. They don't think it's reasonable for the PM to be really rich. And so he snuck it out get it into the public when no one's looking and we can all move on. There's two things that happened on that post, on the post related to that, where I've seen in the uh, in the ether. One being people not understanding how you pay tax on your earnings in the year and saying, that's not a lot, not a lot of tax for being a billionaire, almost a billionaire, and people not understanding how that works. The second thing is, it kind of brings up that kind of story again about should people in politics have a second income or a second job that isn't politics? Should they just have that one job? In which case his tax return wouldn't have been anywhere near that. 
£400,000 return. So I don't know what... He doesn't have a second job. He's just really rich. Most of it was on capital gains, which is a, a tax well, when you sell stuff that you used to have. He gets an income of £150,000, I think, roughly, for being PM, because you get 90, 87, I think, for being a, an MP. And then if you're a minister, you get paid on top of that. So he gets he gets about one hundred fifty thousand pounds, which is less than a lot of people that run a lot of things, and he's running the country. I mean, he also gets a house to live in. It's a big wage. Don't get me wrong; it's a big wage, but it's not anything compared to people who run banks or senior judges or or, or whatever. You know, some head teachers, like executive head teachers, earn almost that much. So whether you think it's too much of the PM is entirely up to you. Whether you think it stops you being in touch with, quote unquote, the common man is up to you. But in terms of wages in London, not not all that much. He's then also got, he married, he married a very, very, very rich lady. And so there's money, all kinds of money coming in from that. But he doesn't have a second job. Okay, I, my, I rescind that comment. <laughs> I think that's where most most of the pushback came through. When he first went for conservative leader, there was the pieces that came out about the non-dom, I find that really difficult to say, status of, of his wife. This is where his promise to publish his tax returns first came from, which he said he would do. And it's taken a while, but he has done. So I guess for him and his team, this will be a tick in the box this week. That's, you know, a promise fulfilled that he, that he's done it. And like you say, it's up to people what they take from that. But, you know, it's it's all out there now in terms of what he has paid and what his earnings are. Okay, guys, and let's head to the final part the crystal ball what will we be talking about in next week's episode essentially okay so a guaranteed post on monday will be the smp leader announcement because we will have that so scottish sp fans haven't got a time for it yet but it will be out there on monday quite big shoes to fill up there from nicola sturgeon so really really interesting to see how that goes i mean labor are going to be rubbing their hands here because if labor are going to win the general election they need to win lots of seats in Scotland. And Nicola Sturgeon was pretty formidable. So whether it's Kate Forbes or Hamza Youssef, it's probably going to be one of those two, probably Hamza Youssef. They're going to have to come out fighting because there's a year, 15, 16 months for the next election. And Scottish Labour are going to be at their throats and expect to see in PMQs, the leader of the SNP in Westminster, attacking Labour much more than the government. Because the Conservative Party aren't really a thing in Scotland. They come third in a lot, a lot, a lot of the elections. And Labour, if we're going to have a Keir Starmer government, Labour need to win in Scotland just for the maths to work. It says here on my script that I'm going to talk about uh, how we are a month away from the local elections. My crystal ball is that we're a month away from the local elections and everyone's going to be talking <laughs> about that. Now, I promise you, no one's going to be talking about that. Nobody. It's just it's really hard for people to get fired up about the local elections. They're really important. Listen. I've got past the deadline to register. No. Register to vote. You should register to vote. You see, I'm not hammering that because I just don't think anyone that listens to the SP podcast isn't registered to vote. Like, I mean, if you if you are and you're not, what are you doing? Go and register to vote, you silly, silly person. But you can pass the message on. If, you, if you've registered to vote recently and you're with someone, you know someone who might not have done, just give them a nudge. Give them a nudge. And also, this is the first time we're going to be doing, you're going to have to have 
some ID on you? I mean, it'll be worth reminding people of that. I think that a lot of places that are telling people to register to vote, this is a, an unpopular opinion, a lot of places that are telling people to register to vote and are reminding people about ID, and if you don't have ID, you've got to get some. It's just virtue signaling, man, because everyone who listens to the SP podcast is registered to vote. Everyone, if we put up a register to vote post, there will be lots of people who share it, but they're all just sharing it to show how into politics they are. Like people who share a registered to vote post are likely to only have friends who are registered to vote. I mean, it is important. And as we get to the general election, people will be more engaged with it. Because if you just about force someone to register to vote, you're not forcing them to actually turn out. And for these elections, we're going to see 40% turnout, maybe 50 in some places. And so all the people have been forced to register. A lot of them aren't voting. Whereas when we get to the general election, then it's going to be a bitter fight in this general election, we're going to see much more like 70, 75% turnout because people who get caught up with it, people who get engaged with it, do register to vote and they do then express their opinion. I do think though, people haven't voted for a while and some people are literally just quite excited to go out and have a vote. (laughs) (laughs) Go and have a vote, says Diane. (laughs) I do, I do, I do. I love voting. I think voting is really important. I think the councils are really important. I think councils change your life possibly in a way that the government don't. I think local local elections are hugely important and I'm desperate for more people to turn out to vote. I'm desperate for more people to be engaged. I think that the way to do that is by engaging people along the way. I was on holiday in, in Spain and there was a little sign that said, this road has cost us 2000 euro to to fix or whatever it was and it was paid for from your council tax and that kind of way that reminding people no one knows how much it costs to empty their bins nobody knows how much it costs to do to provide the social care if there could be a way of constantly looking at it as you went through over your five-year term or whatever it is and then people could say, oh, I wouldn't pay that much for that. Or, oh, you know, then you can start to really get into, into it. And people are engaged along the way. And if you're engaged along the way, of course, you're going to vote. This last minute scramble to say you should care about it, I think falls on deaf ears. And I hope, I hope that SP is part of the solution here because we are engaging people along the way rather than this mad scramble. If you have the opportunity to vote and you want to vote, make sure you're registered, make sure you've got your ID card, and maybe we'll see the results and talk about them in upcoming episode of- You're the- such a virtue signaler, Kobe. <laughs> That's how for now. Thank you very much for spending time with us. We will see you next week. heard a stripped media production. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.